There's more to this story online at birdnote.org. KPFT Houston. Good afternoon. Welcome to the New Capital Show. I'm Leo Gold. It's great to be with you, as always, here on September 13th. Feels like, uh, I don't know, Costa Rica outside or something like that. Tropical and, and, and fragrant. No? You don't like I like it. I don't like the humidity. No, there was this, I walked past this kind of tropical flowering bush, and it was so nice. It, you know, have to, you have to look on the bright side. Yeah, that's, that is true. <laughs> This thing right out here, right out front on that on that fence, it's got those red flowers. It's it's nice. Kind of kind of, I felt like I yeah, like I was in Costa Rica or, or uh, Nicaragua or something like that. So, you had time to look at the flowers as you. No, I'm trying to smell the flowers, Doyle. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight five two six KPFT NewCapitalShow dot com. Uh, you can Twitter me at Leo Gold NCS. Twitter me at Leo Gold NCS. I should do more twittering, but <laughs> I've got a life, folks. <laughs> I'm trying. I cannot get it all done. I barely got here today. So, uh, and then on Facebook, uh, which is Leo Gold dot New Capital Show, Leo Gold dot New Capital Show. Please friend me on Facebook, and I will. Uh, I'll confirm you. We will. We can give each other mutual confirmation. There's so much we could talk about today. The the conventions are over. We have the. Um, the embassy tragedy uh, in uh, Libya and uh, demonstrations in Cairo. Now, Yemen, we could talk about that if you want to talk about that. Uh, but I think what I want to maybe talk about today, and we'll see. If you like it, fine. If you don't like it, you'll call and say, I don't like it, and I want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's that's always fine. But I think what I want to talk about today is how wealthy people avoid taxes, the big ones. I mean, and really give you a better understanding of how that works, because I think a lot of people don't don't understand it. Uh, and it's and <laughs> a lot of KPFT listeners don't understand it. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's just. I'm getting my notepad out. You get yeah. getting his notepad you can take notes. Uh, so I'm going to tell you how to do it today. Uh, all you wealthy listeners out there, I'm going to tell you how it's done. Uh, but first, I want to kick that off, to kick my technical discussion of that off, uh, because that is what I sometimes do in my business. I have to. I'm a, I'm a financial advisor, wealth manager, and I have an obligation to help clients um, minimize their tax bills. Included in that is what can be the biggest tax bill of all, the estate tax bill. So I'm going to talk, be talking about estate taxes and how wealth, the very wealthy uh, manage to minimize their estate taxes. Some of the ways, but to start with, let's let's talk about this news item uh, that that very much caught my eye. It was a pretty major story a couple days ago. It's of course now gone, uh, but but I want to bring it back just for today to kick off this discussion. Whistleblower is awarded one hundred and four million dollars by the IRS. <clears throat> Here we go. Sometimes, writes David. Kashinuski of uh, the New York Times, and this was not just covered in the New York Times, this was covered in all, uh, really all the major media. Sometimes, he writes, crime does pay. Uh, 
Bradley C. Birkenfeld, a former banker at UBS. Any of you out there have your money with UBS? Any, any of you listeners out there? You may. Bradley C. Birkenfeld, a former banker at UBS, recently served two and a half years in prison for conspiring with a wealthy California developer to evade United States income taxes. Gotta love the UBSers, huh? <laughs> but Mr. Birkenfeld, 47, which I'm going to turn in about two months, has a lot to show for his time and effort. The Internal Revenue Service acknowledged on Tuesday, this is two days ago, that information he had provided was so helpful that he would receive a $104 million whistleblower award for revealing the secrets of the Swiss banking system. Right? You've heard of Swiss bank accounts. It's in all the movies. <laughs> it's in all the movies. And now it's in the presidential election as well. As we have one Willard Romney running for office who it's not totally clear, but it appears that Willard has has uh, made use of maybe some Swiss bank accounts. Well, I don't know if that's been proven. P probably came in a Cayman Island accounts, which have kind of become more popular with the jet set here in the United States. What about the uh, Dubai? Don't, don't they have tax? Evasion? I don't know if, ta if Dubai is a tax-free zone or not. It might be. I don't know. I just don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll get some people calling in here. This is radio, live radio. You can let us know if the living's good in Dubai. Now, here we go. Back to the article. By divulging the schemes that UBS used the schemes that UBS used to encourage American citizens to dodge their taxes. Oh, Americans dodge their taxes? Come on. <laughs> Mr. Birkenfeld led to an investigation that has greatly diminished Switzerland's status as a secret haven. Shh. Secret. <laughs> as a secret haven for American tax cheats and allowed the Treasury to recover billions in unpaid taxes, right? So, you know, the Treasury got something out of it, billions in unpaid taxes. The Treasury got theirs, and Mr. Birkenfeld, the whistleblower, is going to get his, $104 million. In addition to paying $780 million in 2009 to avoid criminal prosecution... I mean, I have to tell you all something. If, if, if my practice, my little independent practice, was found guilty of criminal prosecution, I mean, yeah, I'd be out of business. <laughs> but UBS paid a fee of a fine of seven hundred and eighty million dollars in two thousand and nine in order to avoid criminal prosecution. Why? Pay us some money and you get off. And how are they doing now? Oh, they're doing. I'm sure UBS is doing just fine. All you people with your money at UBS, give us a call today. How's that? How's that feel to be with a bank that paid a seven hundred eighty million dollar fine to avoid criminal prosecution? The bank UBS turned over account information regarding more than forty five hundred American clients. Yeah, they snitched out their own. <laughs> they snitched out their own clients. Wow! They set them up. Set them up in Switzerland. Forty five hundred clients. And then in order to avoid the $780 million fine, they snitched him out mm. to, to, to not have to get, to not have to what? To not have to undergo criminal prosecution. They snitched out their clients. Come on, UBS clients out there. Let us hear from you today. 713-526-5738. How are you doing with your law-abiding uh, firm? The disclosure of Swiss banking information, which caused a fierce political debate, in Switzerland before winning approval from the country's parliament set off such a panic among wealthy Americans that more than 14,000 of them joined a tax amnesty program they came forward and said 
we owe more. Don't, you know, don't don't penalize us. Don't prosecute us on tax evasion, right? The, oh, do the poor in this country get that chance, right? Do people get dope amnesty programs in this country, right? But the fourteen thousand wealthy Americans got a got a tax amnesty program. IRS officials say the amnesty program has helped recover more than five billion dollars in unpaid taxes. Well, ain't that great? Five billion now. What did they spend that in Afghanistan in two weeks? Right, something like that. Yeah, they <clears throat> the, the those those richest Americans probably just uh, lost their money to uh, a bank in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Or the UAE. Mr. Birkenfeld's award, the largest ever paid by the IRS, I'll say, is also a milestone for the agency's whistleblower program, which offers informants rewards of up to 30% of any fines and unpaid taxes recouped by the government. Doyle, can we do that here? Who can we... Who can we can we can we do something under the whistleblower program here at KPFT? Uh, you mean the Pacific? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think we we're a nonprofit. We don't pay taxes, right? So yeah, I just I don't know. Think about that while I'm working the rest of this. Um, so there's this uh, program, the whistleblower program. The program was revamped in 2006, offering higher rewards. I'll say, again, and more incentives for citizens to report tax dodges in an effort to help recover more of the estimated $100 billion a year, $100 billion in underpaid taxes. But the program has been dogged by bureaucratic delays and institutional resistance within the IRS, causing some members of Congress to complain that it was being undermined. Right? Imagine you work for the IRS. (laughs) So here comes Bradley Birkenfeld, Banker at UBS shows up one day at the offices of the IRS and says, "Have I got a folder for you?" And uh, and yes, I've been part and parcel of it, participant in it. Uh, but I'm bringing you all these documents, and and when all is said and done, all of the IRS officials there who work for the IRS and just do their job, watch this guy who came in the door with his documents. And um, he gets $104 million. Though Mr. Birkenfeld's $104 million award is less than the billions he sought. You got that? Bradley originally wanted billions. It's sheer size, more than $4,600 for every hour he spent in prison. So the guy did do some time. It could spur a surge in new whistleblower complaints. Mr. Birkenfeld's lawyers said the IRS sent 104 million messages to whistleblowers around the world that there is now a safe and secure way to report tax fraud. Oh. Wow. Mr. Birkenfeld is an unlikely crusader for tax fairness. A native of Massachusetts who studied banking at the American Graduate School of Business in Switzerland (laughs) where he learned all the tricks of the trade. He spent five years recruiting American clients for UBS, which managed some $20 billion in assets for Americans. I think it's more than that, frankly. Before reporting the bank's schemes to the Treasury Department. (laughs) What a guy. (laughs) He learned all the tricks of the Swiss banking trade, got a bunch of wealthy Americans to bring their money over... And then took the dossier into the IRS under the whistleblower program and has now got $104 million. Mr. Birkenfeld also admitted in court that he once smuggled diamonds for a client in a tube of toothpaste. He said he learned in 2005 that the bank's advice to clients was illegal. And after reporting, yes, sure. And after reporting it to the UBS compliance office to no avail, they just would not listen to Mr. Birkenfeld. He decided to become a government informant. Hey, he tried. He tried to tell them at UBS, and they wouldn't listen. During the investigation, Mr. Birkenfeld was charged with fraud for withholding crucial information from federal investigators, including details of his top client, the property developer Igor Olenikov. 
Mr. Birkenfeld was sentenced to 40 months in prison and was released. Uh, you know, people get larger sentences amazing. than that. You know, yeah, for, for smoking dope. Yeah. Yeah, people go for 20 years for smoking some dope. Yeah. Let me just see here. Anything else I want to uh, tack on before I <clears throat> go into ad lib mode? Well, when the program, uh, uh, okay, the program allows the IRS to grant whistleblowers as much as 30% of the money they recover. Some federal agents argued the IRS to invoke a rule that allows them to deny an award to informants who withhold information or engage in illegal activity. Mr. Birkenfeld, but Mr. Birkenfeld, whose exploits landed him on 60 Minutes and the front pages of newspapers around the world cut such a high profile that many lawyers worried that the IRS might scare off potential whistleblowers if he ended up empty-handed with nothing more to show for his efforts than a criminal record. <clears throat> anyway, so. It's incredible. So there it is. Um, this is one way that wealthy Americans have been doing it <laughs> with Bradley Birkenfeld's help and with the help of, of UBS. That is to say, doing it uh, illegally. And um, but in the next few minutes of comments I'd like to make, I'd like to describe to you that that um, it's able you, you are able to you one is able with a lot of money to avoid taxes, and in this case, it's estate taxes, uh, in a perfectly legal way. And I want everybody to understand how it's really done um, by the very wealthy. So without any further ado, let me do And if you want to talk about Bradley Birkenfeld and whether you like this whistleblower program, is this a good idea? The guy, guy got paid $104 million. Is that something, is that a just result? I mean, he turned he turned in this massive Swiss bank that has enormous operations here. UBS now owns, um, I believe it's Payne Weber. I think they bought Payne Weber, and so many of you may have accounts at UBS. Um, and and uh, there are offices all over Houston. UBS has offices all over Houston. And, and, and yet, there you have the story of UBS um, uh, encouraging tax dodging in Swiss bank accounts. So this is this is what happens. Um, if you are very very wealthy, and so let's just let's just try to create a scenario here. Let's say you have fifty million dollars. Okay, um, that's a pretty common amount, right? People have Doyle. I've got two of those. Two. You got a hundred. Let's say you have fifty million dollars, um, and the truth is, is that what most people do with their money, they spend some. You know, they give some away, and a lot of it they pass on to their heirs. Uh, I was in a conference a few years ago. I think it was a luncheon, and uh, it was put on by J.P. Morgan. And J.P. Morgan had done some some uh, research, uh, some some surveys with wealthy clients, and I think it was something like sixty percent or more. Their main goal with regard to their wealth was to pass it on to their heirs, and in my work. As an advisor, uh, I, too, see that that is a very, very common thing to do. And, of course, this goes to the to the most <clears throat> basic physiological uh, notion of us as primates and, and, and the humans that we are. You, you know, we are very, very close with our offspring. Why not? They would, we, you know, in some ways, we can call ourselves Americans, but we remain... Very, very clannish as people. Right? We want to pass it to our kids. Or, you know, if we don't have kids, to our brother and sister or whatever, nieces and nephews. Uh, and this is what I observe in my line of work as well. So, so that is what happens to a good amount of wealth after people uh, die. And they can't, they can't spend it. They don't spend it all and they don't uh give it all away to charities they give some to charities they spend some uh but but uh if you have a very very large estate chances are not necessarily you may give it away to a charitable foundation but chances are the odds are according to jp morgan's survey that i saw at this luncheon that it's going to be given to your children if you have them or or um, uh, and you know many people do so um 
so the problem is we have a thing called the estate tax. If you are wanting to give away money, your problem is there's something called an estate tax. And the estate tax now, it's not the lowest it's ever been. The lowest it's ever been was in 2010 when it literally went away. It didn't exist in the year 2010. And in that year, most famously, the most famous case of someone wealthy dying in the year 2010, I think it was 2010, was here in Houston. Right here in Houston, a man named Dan Duncan who was the wealthiest man literally in the city of Houston at the time, worth some $10 billion. That's with a B. Dan Duncan died suddenly. I think it was a heart attack. Or... And Dan Duncan was able to pass his entire estate, $10 billion worth, to his sons and daughters and wife, no taxes at all. None. Just like in the old days, like 1880, right, when uh, John D. Rockefeller and, uh, you know, I don't think there was an estate tax back then. I don't know for sure. I think that probably came about around the time of the income tax. But just like in the in the old days, uh, you could just just gave it away. And, and of course, for a lot of people, that just seems right. Why should the government get any amount of your wealth when you want to pass it on? Well, the reason is. The reason is, is because you could just continue to, you create dynasties. All the money gets locked up in dynasties, and and when when dynasties and descendants get money, large amounts of it, they don't, they're not exactly induced to try to do productive things. And so you get, you get these dynasties of, of do-nothings. And so that's one of the reasons. The other reason is the government wanted the money. So... There is an argument to be made that when you have an estate tax, you recycle the money back into the economy through the government. I understand you can argue against it. If you're a conservative, you probably will argue against it. I'm just giving you the, the different angles of it. So in 2010, there was no estate tax. But other than that, other than that one year of exception, and I don't want to get too detailed about it. It has to do with the Bush tax cuts back in 2000, 2001, rather. Uh, we are now at the highest estate tax level threshold ever. Meaning you can give away more untaxed, pass on more untaxed than ever before, uh, at least in my lifetime, except for that one year of 2010 when there was no, was no tax at all. And by the way, I think there are stories in 2010 of people who were terminally ill and wealthy who literally said that, that you know, they, they took the poison. You know, somebody with a hundred million dollars who maybe had a few months to live said, you know, and maybe they got up to December 28th or something, and they said, I'm going to do it now. I think, I think there are credible, accurate reports of people having done that, believe it or not. The exemption right now is $5 million. You can give away at your death or during your lifetime $5 million without any tax. And that law was signed by President Obama. At the end of 2011. Yeah. So those who say that Obama, you know, socialist or whatever, the president signed a bill by the Congress into a law, signed it into a law that established the highest. And it also has another feature, which is that if it's a married couple, if a husband, let's just say, dies, the wife can can inherit his $5 million exemption, so that when she dies, she has a $10 million exemption. So if you are a married couple, you can give away up to $10 million together, and that's a, that's a high amount. But the, remember, the example I'm giving you is a $50 million estate, right? Let's go back to that. So you're how much over if you die, and you've got $50 million, and let's say you're married, and there's a $10 million exemption. How much over the $10 million exemption are you? I know, I know that we can all do this math. Doyle? 40. 40. You got it. You're $40 million over the $10 million exemption. Now, what is the tax? How, what is the tax rate on estate taxes? Well, it moves back and forth. It's around, let's just call it for all intents and it's 45%, I think, this year. Let's just call it 50% to give you guys a nice round number. It's about 45. <coughs> Pretty good tax. 
So let's call it 50. So Doyle, if there's a $40 million overage over the exemption and you die, what is the tax that you owe the government? $20 million. You owe the government $20 million. And that's $20 million that doesn't go to your clan. <laughs> My clan. Your clan, to... Doyle Odom, does not get... Odoms. The Odoms. Your clan does not get the $20 million. They could <laughs> use it right now. <laughs> You've got guns. So, so, so. So what are you going to do if you have this horrible, horrible problem that you have $50 million? Well, the answer is you start doing stuff. <laughs> you start putting that money in different entities, trusts, and there is also something called a family limited partnership. Very few of you out there listening, I bet, have heard of a family limited partnership also known as an FLP. So I'm going to describe it to you. A family limited partnership is simply a limited partnership. Under the law, it has no different uh, process of incorporation. It has no different treatment by the IRS. It has no different regard by the state of Texas. If that is where you're setting up your family limited partnership, the only thing that makes it a family limited partnership in name is that the Members of this partnership, this business partnership, are usually all family members. <clears throat> you got that? And usually mom and dad or dad or something serve as what's called the general partner. And those of you who were listening to the shows I did when I talked about private equity, another time I talked about Willard Romney. It's probably been about six months. But I talked about private equity and hedge funds and how those funds are usually set up as limited partnerships. And I told you at the time that the people who run those partnerships are called general partners. That's what Bain and Company is. It's a general partner of limited partnerships set up to purchase assets and companies. And those are usually set up as limited partnerships. And I told you that in a limited partnership, the unique structure of it is that you usually have a general partner that owns a very small percentage of the whole thing like 1%. And the other 99% are called the limited partners. And they have no power. They have no power in the limited partnership. So I talked about limited partnerships when I was talking about Bain Capital and Willard Romney running for president and the way he got his money through this and the taxation of all that. This is the same limited partnership. <clears throat> what differs is that the members are all part of the same family. And the parents often, or the dad, will serve as the general partner. Now, why would you do this? Remember, we have $40 million. In the example that you and I are working together as we talk about how wealthy people avoid estate taxes. Right? And remember, <laughs> I hate to tell you that the wealthy in this country don't really want you to have this information. It's out there. You can Google it. You can get all kinds of information on it. But they don't really want you, they don't really want me talking about it on the air, even though, you know, look, this is what I do for a living. Because I want you, you're, you're entitled to know. You're entitled to know so you can decide, is it okay? We have $40 million that we have got to whittle down to what? Ten. No, we got to get it down to zero. We've got to get 40 down to zero because if mom and dad die with $1, they've already given the 10 away under the current law, right? Remember that, Doyle. It's a $10 million exemption. We have a $50 million estate. If they die with $10 million and $1, how much are they going to be what how much money is going to get taxed 50% a dollar is a going dollar. to get taxed and they're going to go 50 cents so we've got to pretty much get rid of 40 million dollars we've already given away let's assume 10 million we've got another 40 what are we going to do cuz the government's going to get 20 well we're going to set up a family limited partnership and we're going to make sunny and sally and junior and billy the limited partners. 
or we may make trusts for these children partners. There's all sorts of stuff. But I want to keep it simple here. We're going to make them the partners. Why would we do that? What is the benefit of taking that $40 million and let's say that it's in, let's say that that $40 million is in, some of it's in real estate, and some of it's in stocks, and some of it's in bonds. It's all different types of assets, <clears throat> to keep it simple. What is the benefit of putting the assets into this family limited partnership? Well, remember what I told you about the power of the general partner versus the power of the limited partner. So I'm asking you, dear listener... What would you be willing to pay more for? A 1% interest in an entity where you have lots of power or a 1% interest in an entity where you have very little power? What would you be willing to pay more for? Probably the entity in which you have a lot of power. Where you can say, I want to sell this and buy that. I want to distribute this cash out and... All sorts of other things, right? Versus an entity where nobody cares what your opinion is. You have no power to make any investment decisions. You've got no power to make any recommendations. You've got no power to distribute any cash. You have no power. How much are you going to pay for a 1% interest in that entity? Not very much. And that's essentially what we have in a family or in any limited partnership. You have interests that are not worth what they're worth on the fair market. Or rather, at market value. And why is that important? The reason why that is important is because now think about it. Now think about if I want to give my children assets. If I want to give my children assets... Rather than giving them $10 million in cash, what if I give them interests, limited partnership interests in a family limited partnership? Well, because you're gifting away an interest in something that is not worth as much as it would be worth, let's say, on the open market, because it is severely restricted the partnership can say that this $40 million of assets that we're trying to give away is not really worth $40 million. It's really worth only $20 million. You got it? This is critical that you understand this. What we are doing is we are intentionally making the assets defective by putting them into a partnership where the limited partners have no power. And now we can say that the $40 million is not really worth $40 million. We can hire appraisers. And believe me, there are armies of appraisers out there serving the wealthy who are willing to put on a report, hey, that $40 million worth of Exxon stock and Apple stock and bonds for the city of Houston and ownership interest in the mall, at the Galleria, because those assets have been deposited into a family limited partnership, they're not worth $40 million. They're only worth $20 million. I, the professional appraiser, am so saying, and we're citing this case and that case and the other case and the appendix and the rest of it. And now I ask you, is it a lot easier to give away money when it's 20 million as opposed to when it's 40 million the answer is yes you can give it away a lot faster you see my point you can also give up to $13,000 a year to anybody with no taxes so if mom and dad have four children and they each have two or three children that's a lot of grandchildren right so mom and dad can give away $13,000 each, so they can give away $26,000 a year to four children and what, 12 grandchildren? That's call it 16 people. That's 13,000 times 16. Is that right? So that's a 
you know, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. I'm not doing the math immediately, but let's say two, let's say a quarter of a million dollars a year. Mom and dad can give away, right, at a discounted interest. And if they do that year after year after year, right, over four years they've given away a million, and over eight years they've given away two million, right. And if they do this for forty years or so, you know, there's another four or five million dollars that have been given away. So this is the way that it works. I want everybody to understand, and this is perfectly, perfectly legal. Now, obviously, the people going over to UBS and stashing money in Swiss bank accounts, they're like, we don't want to take the 40 years. <laughs> we don't want to give it away through limited partnerships. We don't want to do it through means that are absolutely, currently, perfectly legal. And by the way, Congress regularly has been looking at this and saying, how do we, how do we get rid of, you know, should we get rid of this? There have been proposals that say, you know, you can't do this family limited partnership thing where you discount the assets, you take $40 million, shrink it down to twenty, and then give it away. But it hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. Congress has passed no laws, and at this point, at this point, the IRS is still, is still permitting it. The IRS looks at it all the time and, and call, actually hauls people into court, too, and, and says, you know, this partnership is not being run right, and so people who are wealthy make sure that they run the partnerships properly, and uh, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and so forth. Okay, that was a long technical discussion. I wanted to make sure I did it for you so you understand it. You're entitled to have that information. I don't want people just running around and going, oh, well, you know, the wealthy beat the taxes. I want you to understand how the wealthy beat the taxes. I want you to understand that that's, you know, that there are mechanisms under which this occurs. You're entitled to know. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take your calls. Let me give you the phone number right now, 713-526-5738, 713-526-KPFT. We can talk about Brad Birkenfeld, Family Limited Partnerships, Taxes, Willard Romney, any of the above. Back in a moment. Ben Bernanke today uh, talking, testifying. Federal Reserve said that they are going to expand its holding of mortgage-backed securities until inflation, I'm sorry, until unemployment drops sufficiently or inflation rises too fast. And that drove the stock market, the Dow Jones, up uh, a lot. And all stock markets in the U.S. were up uh, anywhere from uh, 1.3 to 1.5 percent. Very strong day for the stock market. And by the way, the stock market is now approaching its all-time highs that were hit in October of 2007. Uh, if you were one of the people who has sold out of the market in the past uh, since March of 2009, you've missed one of the uh, largest rallies in, in history and one of the quietest. 713-526-5738. Let's go to the phones, and first up is going to be our friend Teresa. Teresa, welcome. 
thanks for taking my call because my minutes are limited and I'm on the road. I'm driving through a storm to KPFT to try to get a few more signatures on a petition for someone running for the KPFT local station board. So if there's anybody in the vicinity that can be at the station before 5 to sign this petition, I, I hope they'll stop by in this rain. Uh, but I did want to say one thing. Um, I think is it correct that there's a $1.89 billion a bond issue for HISD coming up for a vote in November? Uh, Teresa, this is your area. Tell us all about it. Well, I really don't know that much about it. I know that there was one that was a big bond issue that was declined in Montgomery County in the last election. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know how people can really find out about these bond issues. You know, it, I mean, $1.89 billion sounds pretty big to me. It is a big and, bond. It is a big bond uh, issue, <laughs> for sure. And uh, you know, I hope that somebody can educate us on how you find out about it because it puts the city in or the Harris County in a, a great deal of debt. So I think it bears looking into. But how does the average citizen find out about it? Where do you see the conversations about it? Uh, you know. You know, I don't, I don't know. There was a big conversation at the Tea Party meeting in Montgomery County about certificates of obligation and certain bond issues that were passed without the you know, without the electorate voting voting on them. Uh, so I think people need to get educated about it. Thank so you, thank you, Teresa. Maybe somebody can call in and and educate us. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. The uh, I, I don't I don't know about this bond issue. Uh, entities issue bonds and municipalities issue bonds all the time. As cities get bigger, and our city has certainly grown, we could expect the bond issues and the debt loads are going to get bigger. This is one of the issues with the United States. When you hear about oh, you know our debt's gotten so much bigger, yeah, well, the economy's gotten bigger. You know, the country's gotten bigger. There's more people. Uh, we've had inflation. There's all kind of reasons why the debt in this country would be going up other than just, you know, we're profligate pigs. Although, we've been that too. <laughs> and that, that accounts for some of it. So, I don't have an answer on that particular bond issue. Uh, that is a whole area of finance that I participate in as a buyer through uh, municipal mutual funds. I'm not qualified because it's not how I spend my days analyzing. And it's gotten, and I would urge any of you out there... Who, who are buyers of, of municipal bonds, and that means also state bonds issued by, by the states, that you understand that it is a different world now, given, given what uh, may be precarious finances by cities and by states. And it's become an area that used to be a kind of a sleepy backwater for investing. You know, you buy your municipal bonds, and you put them away, and you go to sleep. Uh, it's a lot more technical now because there's more types of issues. There are more types of rules governing tax deductibility. And um, and now the credit quality of American cities, which really has not been the case in American history, is now, is now questionable. And so uh, if you don't know what you're doing in the area of municipal bond buying, uh, use a professional. Use a mutual fund, too. You know, any of the mutual fund buyers are going to be uh, using research teams that they used to go through the that they used to go through these bond issues. So Teresa is bringing up the point of you know what's the money for, uh, and how's it going to get paid off, and those are exactly the right questions. But I I don't have the answers on those particular bond issues. I just don't not that tuned. I should be tuned in more, but I can only tune so much. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight. Next is Louisa. Louisa, welcome to the New Capital Show. Hello. Okay, are you there, Louisa? Uh, you're on. I am Rosa. I don't know. Oh, Rosa. Me. Okay. Hello. You're, yep, you're on, Rosa. Go ahead. Welcome. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been thinking about um, um, gifting my my grandkids like ten thousand dollar mutual fund or something like that. Is is that would that be considered a gift where I wouldn't pay taxes? Yes, you could gift. Uh, well, there's several. There's several things you could gift them uh, up to five million dollars, uh, Rosa, and uh-huh. there would be no taxes on it. Here's the deal: if you gift them over thirteen thousand dollars, 
You're allowed to gift them up to $13,000 in any given year. If you gift them over $13,000, it may still not be taxable, probably won't be taxable, but you'll have to file what's called a gift tax return. I see. Okay, because over $13,000, the government's going to say, okay, you gave over $13,000. We're going to have to take away some of your $5 million lifetime exemption. Okay? Okay, and would that be, would that be um, with a mutual fund, and would I have any control over that? Would you have control after you gift it to them? Yeah. How old are they? Uh, different ages, uh, 22, 8, 4. Okay, well, the 22-year-old is very different than the 4 and the 8. The 4 the four and the 8, you could set up what's called a UTMA account, Uniform Transfer Minors Act, and that is a unified, is a standardized trust account. Uh, where the money could be used for your four and your eight year old, uh, but they don't have control over it. So control would be with, with whoever is uh, considered to be the trustee or the owner of the account. Your, t- okay. your 22 year old is not a minor anymore, Rosa. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so if you give your, is it a he or a she? He. It's a he. So if you give him the money, it's his money because he's an adult. If you didn't want him to have control over the money, you would have to set up a separate trust, uh, which you can do, but it's going to take uh, a little bit more money because you're going to have to have an attorney draft a trust agreement, and it's going to spell out what are the what are the uh, what are the stipulations of the trust. Any anyone, regardless of any age, can set up a trust for somebody else. You can set up a trust for somebody who's 50 years old. Maybe the 50 year old isn't capable of managing their own money, or has substance abuse problems or whatever the case is. So those are not uncommon that trusts are set up, but you have to set up a separate trust. So that's going to be more expensive for you to maintain control. And what did you call the other one? A UTMA account, and that is is an account for a minor. And and, uh, and so uh, for them, there will be a trustee, and you could make yourself that or... Uh, uh, if you felt that your is it your daughter or your son who's who uh, who has the ki- the kids? Okay, and I, I use a lawyer for that or not? No, you shouldn't need a lawyer. You can open up a UTMA account with uh, almost any brokerage firm or bank. Uh, so, do you have do you have a relationship with any any firms? If so, uh, then that that would be the place to look. And if not, you could go into any kind of brokerage. I would just off the top of my head. Uh, you you could even do it online, but you could go into a place like Schwab or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or uh, or any of these places. Well, great, thank you. You've been very helpful. Okay, bye. Thanks, Rosa. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight. Can you not say the names? I don't know, but I love when people call in with uh, their financial <laughs> questions. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I mean, they just that. She just received like a thousand dollars worth of financial advice. Nah. Yeah. At least well, hundred. Well, well. I hopefully her grandkids will will do the right thing yeah. with the uh, uh, with the money. And as I said, this is look. We are we 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 are Americans, uh, but we are clannish, and we want to take care. I mean, let's face it. We want to take care of kids and grandkids, and it's just a natural natural impulse. And I mean. We even want to take care of them when it means giving them $50 million. I mean, it's just it's just that hardwired into us. Let's go back to the phones and take uh, Ali on line one. Hey, Ali, welcome to the New Capital Show. Thank you. you got a great show here. Thank uh, you. I have a question. Would you mind making any comments on, you know, what Bernanke said today and what impact, if any, it might have on uh, interest rates for mortgages? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't see the testimony. I've had meetings all day, uh, but... But um, but the, but he said that we are going to have exceptionally low interest rates, okay. likely through 2015. Okay, Excellent. so that's that's a while out, Ollie. You know, right, right, right. And and so that means if if it turns out to be the case, and nobody knows if that's going to be the case, if we see unemployment dissipate or we see inflation begin to kick up, I mean. There's nothing. There's, this is not rocket science here. He's saying exactly what people expect him to say. But when he says it, everyone, everyone's like, "Oh, they're going to keep interest rates low until unemployment's down and and uh, or interest rate, or interest rates and inflation start to move. Inflation, especially, start to move up." 
But okay. but when he says that may well be through 2015, that gives everybody kind of a time frame as to what the Federal Reserve is looking at for low interest rates. So the likelihood is that we are going to continue to see low interest rates, and that would include low mortgage rates, low mortgage rates. For, for a while. Although, you know, the Fed is indicating that they're going to wade back into the mortgage back securities market and if they're buying that then that could in fact have a counter effect of driving driving those rates up but in general we're looking at low interest rates and so you know it's hard because when i'm talking to clients clients are what are we going to see inflation do we buy long-term bonds you could get hurt if inflation kicks in but at the same time you're not getting paid anything to hold short-term bonds right now yeah you know how much are people getting paid to hold cash in their accounts right now are you getting are you are you getting paid a lot of money uh, in interest on your bank account not at all. Hardly yeah, anything. Yeah, hardly zero. It's like zero. Yeah. Yeah. So that's causing people to go farther out and take greater interest rate risk and greater and greater credit risk on the fixed okay. income that they hold. Great. Very Great. good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ollie. You. Yep. Yeah, I mean, big, big, big announcement day for Chairman Bernanke and stock markets and, and bond markets as well. CW is online, too. CW, welcome to the New Capital Show. How are you? Well, thank you, sir. I'm doing great, and I hope y'all are doing well. Doing good. Um, I... Uh, I actually the last caller kind of stole my point of view. Of what is the point if interest rates are low to have a CD or to invest in in a in a system that really is kind of in its death throes, if you so to speak? Um, it's only, I think, in my opinion, sheer inertia that has kept this thing going from after the breaking of Glass Steagall Act in the Clinton years. And you introduce the Bush years, we go to war with terrorism, and now we're at a point to where it's just QE2, now QE3. I mean, hell, we can print enough uh, paper to where we'll get to a point where we can wipe our hands in. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical economics. Nobody's making a profit. CW, Chairman Bernanke and the Federal Reserve, uh, like it or, or love it or leave it, is going to do what it takes to uh, get you to get your money out of cash. Okay? Well, uh, I mean, th- I'm they... a firm believer in commodities. Okay, fine. Uh, but but um, probably what they want you to do, I'm just, I'm just guessing, what I would like you to do, uh, and what I would like everyone to do for that matter, is to use their money productively. Yeah, okay? Sure. So people who are hoarding cash, they're trying to penalize for hoarding for hoarding cash certainly and and they're trying to get people to to do something with the money uh... whether that means starting a business or putting money into education or put or putting money into you know uh... you heard teresa ask about the bond issue one point seven nine billion dollars or what it is uh... like it or not like it uh... the city of houston apparently according to her is coming forward with a large bond issue that says we're gonna borrow this money and we've got things we can do with it. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but let's just right now, for purposes of argument, give them the benefit of the doubt yes. and say they've got some good ideas. Frankly, I'd like to see them do a hell of a lot more recycling than they're doing. Well, hey, I, I'm with you on board. I don't believe yeah. in so, anything so, like can be reused. So but if, may I ask you this, sir, sure. with this question? Yeah. How can you borrow something that isn't there? How can you borrow money that doesn't exist? That's my whole point. We have a a money system based in the red and not in the black. We don't produce anything anymore in this country. And that's what scares me as a 30-year-old young man in the prime of my life. That's what really troubles me because I want to work the next 40 years, six days a week, 12 hours a day if I have to. And that's what scares me, and I think that's what scares a lot of the folks who support Ron Paul and the Libertarian Party or the Independent Party. We're looking at this thing as a relay race and track, and we get handed this baton, and they say, all right, y'all go ahead and, and run this last leg of the race. And it's like, wait a second, there's landmines, there's barbed wire, there's all this crap. This isn't a fair race. And I think that's what we need to start addressing is the fairness. because, And that's one of the main things I hate to hear is that's not fair. Well, you know what? Life's not fair. But when you look at the big picture, the foundation that, you know, a lot of women are married to men for right now, who they really don't like only because they bring home a big paycheck. We've got to start addressing CW, that. CW, thanks for the call. Great to have you as always. Uh, folks, it's going to take investment in good return projects. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I can't address, we've only got a couple minutes here, I can't address fairness or any of that, but 
the Federal Reserve is doing is going to do what they believe is necessary to get the velocity of money going and money going into something other than large hordes of cash. And if you've been in cash for the last three years, you've paid a very, very, very severe penalty because the stock market is up 100% since its low in March of 2009. So if you've been in cash for the last three or four, since March of 2009, if you've been in cash or low-yielding instruments, you've earned about 1%. If you've owned interest in businesses, you've made 100%. Take your pick. Let's go. Let's let Don wrap it up on line three. And by the way, folks, weather's really bad right now, it looks like, outside. Uh, and so um, do we have to – do you want to do weather right now or shall I go to Don? You you choose, Doyle. Yeah, let me let me let me give a weather report um, just real quick. It's eighty four. It's eighty four degrees. There's a fifty percent chance of thunderstorms, but I mean, it looks like we're getting some here in Montrose. Uh, really, what that means is about fifty percent of the greater Houston area is experiencing some thunderstorms. Yeah, but there. But it looks to me, I'm looking at this map. There's severe storms. It looks like moving in from the west uh, through the center of Houston right now. So just basically, please drive carefully. Be careful. And uh, it looks like there's a bunch of rain that's following in behind it, so we could be in for rain for a bit here this afternoon. It looks like it's actually going to. It looks like it's actually going to go until Sunday. Okay, know, yeah. be be nice and drive carefully, everybody. Let's let Don bring it on home today. Don, welcome. Oh, hello, thank you. Uh, just a quick question. My neighbor just asked me this. He says, "Gosh, I just won a car, a forty-nine thousand dollar car. I have a choice of the car or forty-nine thousand dollars in cash. What do you think I should do?" And I said, "Man, you need to ask somebody about your tax liability and how that works." And so, if you've got a moment, how does that work? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I I can't discuss. Uh, Don, I can't discuss what your friend's tax position is or what that's going to be regarded as. It's going to be regarded as a winning. I'm assuming it's going to be taxable. Can't see any reason why it wouldn't be taxable. Uh, and and uh, I don't know that he's going to avoid the tax even if he takes the car. If he takes the car, he's probably still going to owe the tax. So to me, the question is probably, and and I'm just guessing here at that, but probably the decision is going to come down to does he need the car or does he have more productive uses for the cash? Does I'm that, sure he has more productive use for the cash. Is it the kind of thing where I, they're handing the cash I and then tomorrow the IRS calls? Don, I don't know. He's going to have to consult with his tax attorney. They will know immediately, but my guess is he's going to be taxed whether he takes the car or he takes the cash. The IRS is, IRS is going to say that this is, this is, this is some sort of uh, gift income regardless. And and he's gonna he's gonna owe the same tax on it. Hope okay, that hope that's up, but but he needs to Okay, thanks so much, Andrew. I'm sorry, we are out of time today, uh, but I will be back next week. It does it for another edition of the New Capital Show, NewCapitalShow.com, on Facebook, Leo Gold Show, and uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Leo Gold NCS. Again, uh, heavy weather is out there, and it looks like it's going to be with us through uh, this afternoon and and over the. Over the weekend, but we've got some uh, red radar stuff over the city right now, it looks like. So please, please, please be careful. Coming up next is the fantastic, as always, KPFT Local News, followed by Al Jazeera, followed by Democracy Now! And stay tuned now and into this evening. Uh, Progressive Forum this evening is at, uh, what, is it 7 o'clock? Uh, is is uh, Wally's show? Yeah, that's right. Always a great show. This is KPFT Houston. The executive director of Pacifica Foundation, Summer Reese, has extended the nomination period at KPFT. It will now close at 5 p.m. on Thursday, September 13th. Register as a prospective candidate online at kpft.org. To be placed on the ballot, prospective candidates must collect the signatures of 15 listener members. The next online signature drive will take place between September 7th and September 10th. To participate, make sure to submit your candidate statement to the local election supervisor by email or through the online registration by 9 a.m. Friday, September 7th. Additionally, in-person signing events are planned for September 8th from 1 to 4 p.m. and again on September 12th from 3 to 8 p.m. Both will be held at KPFT. Don't delay. Register online as soon as possible and make sure to submit a hard copy of your candidate nomination packet to EO Irabor, the One local nine election supervisor, list- by 5 p.m. Thursday, September 13th. This announcement was brought to you by KPFT Houston. 
One in nine Americans listens to a local public radio station on a regular basis. Many use stations like KPFT to make voting decisions, music choices, their own conclusions about the world, or where to go over the weekend. That's because less than one half of one percent of programming on commercial stations goes to local public affairs. Why not consider supporting KPFT as a major donor? Whether as an individual or an organization, major donors help KPFT in many ways. Major donors help big station projects and ensure KPFT gets the money it needs to survive without all those pledge drives. Just call our development director at 713-526-4000 to become a major donor today. Your donation of $5,000 or more helps keep independent arts, music, news, and views alive and kicking on the Gulf Coast. Become a KPFT major donor today. Call our development 